Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week, I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. Now, sometimes we get a military veteran expert in here to talk about the issues in the news, and other times we'll talk about the issues that uniquely affect veterans. But I tell you, every episode will bring you fascinating guests with incredible stories to share. My goal every week is simple, bring you something informative and something that will inspire the hell out of you. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. On this episode, we'll hear what medical experts are saying about our family get-togethers during this holiday season. There are a fair number of people who are asymptomatic, or maybe they may be pre-symptomatic, or maybe even they were symptomatic, who may be shedding the virus, and they may just look normal. The fact is that it kills, you know, two to three percent is the total mortality, but that number in and of itself is not the true number as well because we're seeing young people. My neighbor has a kid who's a marathoner, right? He's a 24-year-old D1 tennis player marathoner. He got COVID. It's now six weeks later, and he can't run a mile. And for Small Business Saturday, we'll meet a California veteran who's doing big things to help his fellow vets get manufacturing jobs. We'll take any MLS. We don't care if you're an 0311 infantry guy. I don't care if you're an a mess specialist, it doesn't matter. Workshops for Warriors is the equivalent of a boot camp for manufacturing. And we'll talk with my friend and former colleague, Navy veteran Eric Dame, who was the original host of Ion Veterans, and we'll look back at Thanksgiving memories while deployed been outside the wire with an Air Force crew that was training uh, the Afghan National Army's pilots and crew. It was really interesting stuff, uh, really uh, uh, fascinating to see the interaction and to see the different things and to get shot at by the uh, the people that lived out in the mountains while we're up in the helicopters. No, really? That's all coming at you next. 
Now, many of us have enjoyed a shortened holiday week because of Thanksgiving. And because of the rise of the amount of COVID cases throughout the country, many Americans opted against the large family gatherings. But earlier this week, I had a chance to speak with two veterans, both medical experts, who share some important and almost frightening things to remember about any family get-togethers that we're considering during this holiday season. Dr. Mark Cordepeter is a retired Army colonel, physician, scientist, and biodefense expert. And he's also the author of the book Inside the Hot Zone, an account of life inside the Biowarfare Defense Lab at Fort Detrick, Maryland. I recently spoke with him about COVID as it relates to Thanksgiving and the upcoming holiday get-togethers that we're all thinking about. Dr. Cordepeter, good to talk to you again. How are you? Doing well. Thanks, Phil. Great. Happy to talk. Man, I thought that when we spoke this summer, that might be the last time. I thought, you know, you'll give me your advice on my summer vacation and by fall, certainly, you know, by Thanksgiving, you know, we'll, we'll have this figured out. I was wrong, wasn't I? Well, certainly, Phil, I think we're definitely in a uh, very different place than we were last summer. I think when we talked, you were talking about going to the beach and things seem to be cooling off, uh, as they often do with uh, respiratory viruses in the summers, but obviously now... We have a totally different situation as we've seen, uh, you know, cases skyrocketing really all across the country. And we're seeing a lot of community spread. Yeah. And it's to that I wanted your expertise. Here we're talking about a holiday season where we're looking at going inside. Is the risk of being with our relatives who are untested and could be asymptomatic, is that risk real? Yes, it is, Phil. I think that the challenge is that there are a fair number of people who are asymptomatic or maybe they may be pre-symptomatic or maybe even they were symptomatic or starting to get better who may be shedding the virus. So it's really a case of where you don't really know who's actually contagious and they may just look normal. And, and so there is this risk as we start coming indoors more, we're a little more crowded. And I think there is a natural tendency to let our guard down because they are family. So you're of the opinion that it would be a wise move, maybe, even to consider wearing a mask at the family function when you're near your relatives? Yeah, so this is uh, something to think about in the context of family gatherings. And I've got some thoughts here, just general thoughts about if people are going to come together for Thanksgiving. First of all, if you can keep the people at your Thanksgiving table those who you're already interacting with on a daily basis in your household, that's preferable, right? Then you don't have anybody from the outside coming in. Um, if you're thinking about traveling to go see others, the first, the easiest answer is don't travel. if You can avoid it. Um, but then the other thing is you could potentially get tested before you go. Think about who's at greatest risk. Are there people in your family or, or whoever you're thinking of getting together with with who have underlying illnesses like hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, immune compromise for whatever reason. These are the post folks at highest risk for complications or severe disease. So think about are there things you can do to try to protect them where they're, you know, not necessarily interfacing with the whole family. And then, you know, really I think the other thing to consider is holding gatherings with fewer people. So maybe normally you get together with family, you know, five families come together, 25 people or something. Think about maybe smaller gatherings, maybe just two families, and then you you talk to the other ones by Zoom. So you, nobody's completely left out. Um, but there, there are other things people can do, too. I think 
if they are gathering, to try to minimize the risk of even things like, uh, you know, cross-contamination, you know, whether they use um, disposable utensils. Um, you talked about wearing a mask. Do you wear a mask when you're all together? Well, what I would say is if you wear a mask when you're together, if there's a way you can eat in shifts, because obviously you can't eat with a mask on. So can you eat in shifts or separate yourselves while you're eating and then put your mask back on and then have a conversation after you've eaten? So there are various things you can do that way. Um, try to minimize the crowds of people gathered in the kitchen making the food. And then if you if you are in an environment where you can be outdoors, try to spend some of that time outdoors, leave the windows open to try to get some fresh air in there. Now, in another part of our interview, I asked about how COVID stacks up against other diseases the public health community has previously battled. I even wrote an article for Forbes as a contributor to their front lines not too long ago, and I said, why is Ebola, why is COVID more deadly than Ebola? Well, the answer is Ebola actually, you know, kills like 60% of the people get infected. COVID, we're talking, you know, 1% or maybe even less die. But with simple math, the more cases you get of COVID, you're talking millions of cases across the world, even if the percent of death is lower, you're going to multiply that out by the number of cases, and that's why you get more deaths. And so ultimately, we want to knock down the cases and therefore reduce the later order effects of deaths. And the data proves this out. So I guess it's safe to say, though, that uh, it is a good idea to get tested, or is that something that's going to overwhelm our system as well? Well, I think if you're planning on seeing others over the holidays and you don't have a way to do it, uh, in a more safe manner in terms of distancing, masks, et cetera. It's one, you know, it's like a Swiss cheese model. You're trying to hit this thing in multiple different, you, you know, multiple different holes and block some of the holes. Uh, and so I think testing is one thing you can do to try to reduce risk of spread to others. So, and it, you know, your local community, you'll have to see in terms of what the long lines are and things like that. Mm. The bottom line is if you need a test, you probably should go out and get it. Yeah. And, of course, you'd rather have a long line at the testing site than a long line in the ICU. And that certainly makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah. Dr. Mark Hortepeer, always appreciate talking to you. I always say when I talk to you, your two cents spends like a dollar with me, man, because it's, it's great advice. And thank you for helping me kind of sort through some of the rumors and the myths here. We've actually talked about a lot of comparisons here, and we've talked about a lot of the fundamentals that some people have just disputed or plain didn't want to hear, and that you always break it down very clean, man. So, Dr. Mark Hortepeer, thank you so much. Thanks, Phil, and you have a nice holiday. Take care. You can find my full interview with Dr. Mark Cordepeter in the podcast section of ConnectingVets.com. He is currently the Vice President of Research for the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. You can also read more of his insights in Forbes magazine by looking at their Coronavirus Frontlines section. And now up next, we'll talk more about how COVID is having an effect on the holidays with Navy veteran and Team Rubicon Chief Medical Officer, Dr. David Calloway. I worked two shifts in the ER this week. What I will tell you is that we are seeing uh, lots and lots of sick people and probably as many really sick people with with COVID as we did early on. And then we're also seeing people who had COVID a month ago who are coming back in with a new pneumonia or coming back in with trouble breathing or some complication after they've recovered. So it's still a big fat deal. That's up next on CBS Eye on Veterans.
Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran and reporter for ConnectingVets.com, Phil Briggs. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, Thanksgiving may or may not be over. But the desire to get together with family and friends is a big part of the holiday season that we're in. So I recently talked with a couple medical experts about this phase of the COVID crisis. And one was Dr. David Calloway. He's a professor of emergency medicine, an ER physician in North Carolina, and the chief medical officer for the veteran group Team Rubicon. We'll jump into the part of our interview here where, like many of us, I had questions about COVID. What is he actually seeing inside hospitals? And how can we separate the facts from the hype that we hear generated by the media? What are you seeing right now in your area? Uh, are there enough beds in hospitals, or are we now looking at maybe entering a phase where we're going to use a triage areas like stadiums? Yeah, it's a great question. We, you know, what what I like to say is, uh, we uh, we did the smart stuff early on. We fought hard, and we we're beating back uh, COVID, and then and then people got fatigued, and and we got uh, a little bit um, complacent, and, and we're seeing the, the consequences of that nationally right now. If you look at the spread of, of everything from cases to hospitalizations to death, it started in the Midwest and then like an inkblot is spread out to the coast. So, you know, we have, uh, we've seen increases. Um, we are, we are straining our systems, but we've, we've put a lot of lessons learned from the last eight months in place and we're still taking care of people in, in really effective ways. You know, I, I'm hoping, I, I know field hospitals are popping back up and I was involved in, in planning some of our field hospitals back in March. I, I'm hoping that, with some innovation and some, some new ways of caring for people, we're able to keep people at home, provide them care remotely. And then certainly when the vaccine comes out in the next couple of months, we're able to put that in play to, to help this recovery. As you've seen it, though, just in this last week, we weren't or you weren't, say, on a shift where there just were too many patients for the amount of beds ever, were you? I worked two shifts in the ER this week. And what I will tell you is that we are seeing uh, lots and lots of sick people and probably as many really sick people with, with COVID as we did early on. And then we're also seeing people who had COVID a month ago who are coming back in with a new pneumonia or coming back in with trouble breathing or some complication after they've recovered. So it, it's still a big, fat deal. Mm. Um, I, I know that uh, people are tired of, of this fight, but you know, we got it. We got to keep swinging. We got to keep doing the smart stuff, like wearing masks, washing our hands, and, and staying physically distanced. Because th- there are people who are really sick, and it's not just the elderly, and it's not just the people in nursing homes. We're seeing young people two months out who still, you know, can't breathe like they used to be able to breathe. So we we got to get a hold of this. There's a huge spike that's going on, a resurgence of this, and you'd said it yourself, like kind of emanating from maybe the Midwest and and then pouring back out towards the coasts now again. Um, What's behind it? I mean, are people really still catching this via the air now in rural areas because like trucks and trailers and commerce have all come from the big cities and dropped their goods off at the stores and the Walmarts and the whatnot in the rural areas. And then that air just got shared. And now people are like breathing the sneeze clouds and the cough clouds that came from travelers that were in other infected areas. Yeah, Bill, if only it were that complex. It's actually really simple. We're seeing a spread because people aren't wearing masks. We're seeing a spread because people are going out to eat inside restaurants with people who they haven't quarantined with, and they're spreading the disease. They're getting together in big groups, uh, and they're not wearing masks, and they're spreading the coronavirus. And basically what happens is as you get more people who are infected, you start to see this exponential explosion of more cases because there are more people who are sick out there, 
and each one's infecting more than one person. And so as you click along, at some point you go from this linear increase to the exponential increase. And that's what we're seeing right now. And it is solely because people are not physically distancing and they're not wearing masks. Now, less percentages of people are dying because we're getting better at treating it. But overall, more numbers of people are dying because more people are getting sick because we're not doing the simple stuff right. Let's also talk numbers. You kind of referenced it there earlier. You know, we're looking at the national numbers and they're huge as far as positivity, but then the death rate doesn't seem quite as high. However, any death is one too many. Um, but I wanted to take a peek real quick with you just so I can get my head around it. I was watching the news crawl the other day and it said like 11 million some people in America have the virus. And then I looked and it said the deaths were a quarter million people. Does that mean that this is not as lethal or am I looking at those numbers wrong? So, Phil, it's a, so it's a good question. And this is why people should go to trusted sites like the CDC to, to get their data. Mm-hmm. So what, what we know is that hospitalizations and deaths lag increases in number of cases by about two to three weeks, right? So we start to see increased numbers of cases, and then the, the mortality or the number of people that die, people usually die two, three weeks, four weeks into their course, sometimes a little sooner, but usually a couple weeks into the course. And so you won't see the increased uh, total percents and numbers of deaths exactly in line with the increased number of cases. There's usually a delay. And so what, what they expect and what they're projecting out of the CDC and other groups is we're going to start seeing these uh, escalations in percentages of deaths and numbers of deaths, you know, probably in the next one to two weeks, we'll start seeing those numbers go up uh, more dramatically. Thank you for the filter on the math, because, you know, that's always the water cooler argument I get or like the folks I see on Facebook, you know, they'll put up a graphic and be like, well, look, man, just do the math. Ain't that bad. Um, if, I, if I could just like comment on this. Yeah. Right. Like. <laughs> so coronavirus isn't Ebola. It doesn't kill 35 or 40 percent of people. Okay, that's true. The fact is that it kills, you know, two to three percent is the total mortality. But that number in and of itself is not the true number as well, because like I told you, we're seeing young people. My neighbor has a kid who's a marathoner, right? He's a 24 year old D110 player marathoner. He got COVID. It's now six weeks later and he can't run a mile. He has no other medical problems. So he doesn't get counted in those numbers because he didn't die, right? He was a survivor. But now he can't go and exercise. And so his life is dramatically impacted. And this is this is really the hidden story here. Is everyone who says, ah, oh, not that many people are dying, they don't know people who are not being able to go back to work because they can't breathe. People are having, you know, uh, subacute strokes because of the coronavirus. And, you know, they, they, they can't go back to work. They can't go take care of their kids. They're not popping up on the death list. And so people need to take this seriously. It's no joke. It's killing people. And we own the ability to stop it. Wear a mask, physically distance, wash your hands. That is some easy, easy stuff. Make your mama proud. Do the easy stuff. All right. Now, we talked about a lot of different things during our full interview, but uh, I want to actually get to the part here where we talked about testing. A lot of people are doing pre-holiday testing, and I ultimately wanted to know, are all these tests created equal? Yeah, so there, there are a bunch of different tests out there, but broadly it's the, the real-time PCR test is the most reliable, and there are a bunch of different versions of that. And then there's the antigen test, which is a little bit different, but that's one of the rapid tests. Every state has multiple different options for testing. N- none of them are 100%. Um, all the ones that exist right now are pretty good. The question of whether you should get tested or not um, is a little bit more nuanced. So remember, when you get tested all that means is you don't if it's negative it means you don't have the the coronavirus at the moment you were tested so where it's helpful 
is if you're going to travel and you haven't been around anyone for two weeks or a week and a half um, and you get a negative test, then the likelihood is you don't have it, right? If you've been hanging out, partying, um, and then you go take a test and you're negative, that, that, doesn't, really, that doesn't really help much. So the, the same thing is with exposures. We see this all the time. You know, uh, someone comes in, they say, my, my kid had an exposure yesterday. We want to test. Well, the test today is not going to be positive. Um, and it's not really going to tell you anything because you need to get a test, you know, within the period of being able to detect the virus. So earliest two days after exposure, um, and, and usually it's more like five, six, seven days after the exposure. Now I want to wrap this segment up with a soundbite that I thought was especially poignant. Especially from veterans, right? We've all missed our share of, of Christmases and birthdays, and we know it sucks. Probably more than anybody in the world, we know how much missing a holiday sucks. So number one is, what, what is the value of, of this particular holiday at this particular time in your life? So you only only people can make that decision. Is it the last time you're going to be around grandma? Maybe it's worth it. If, you know, So individual decision on, on how valuable this, this holiday is. Then what is your risk and what are the risks of the people you're going to be around? You're going to feel awfully bad if you come from a high-risk population, you carry COVID to your family, and you know Aunt Bessie, Uncle Jim, and, and Grandma die because you give them COVID. So understanding your risk and your family's risk. And then number three is understanding your willingness to, to put the protective measures in place. So is everyone willing to wear a mask? Now, that's just a brief glimpse at my conversation with Dr. David Calloway. And if you want a serious look at how COVID is affecting the holidays, go to ConnectingVets.com under the podcast section or look for Eye on Veterans everywhere you get podcasts. They're both eye-opening conversations and worth a listen in this season of Family and Friends. The veteran stories we hear make us proud to be Americans. As soon as I turned 18, I went into the local recruiter's office and signed up. But the stories we don't reflect the wounds that Wounded Warrior Project is there to heal. It was literally my favorite part of the city. When we went around it, it went kaboom. And when I moved my left leg, it bent at the shin. I was like, well, this is going to be a bad day. Now, more than ever, we need to help each other. And with only a $50 donation, you can help get one warrior the mental health services that heal the mind, body, and soul. When Wounded Warrior Project came calling again, saying, hey man, do you want to go on this trip? Do you want to go do this? Do we have all these different programs that you, where you can learn adaptive sports? I was more than happy to jump on top of it because I knew these people. That's the power of just a $50 donation to Wounded Warrior Project. Without Wounded Warrior Project, I, I really honestly don't know where I would be. So give what you can today at DonateToWarriors.org. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs for ConnectingVets.com. Now, the Saturday after Thanksgiving is Small Business Saturday. But more than just buying products from vets for gift-giving, our next guest is giving veterans the gift of a serious career. Hernan Luisi Prado is the founder of VetPowered, and he and his team of engineers, welders, and fabricators build parts and machines for some of the biggest names in American manufacturing and aerospace. But it's his training school, Workshops for Warriors, that trains veterans for seriously high-paying jobs. I recently spoke with my fellow Navy vet, about his interesting past and the bright future he's giving our veterans. Hernan Luisi Prado from San Diego, California. Hernan, welcome to the show. 
Phil, thank you so much, and I love speaking with another Navy veteran. Easily the best branch of service. We got to travel around, and as I tell all my friends in the Army and the Air Force, <laughs> dude, we always had a beach. I mean, I don't yeah. know about you guys. But <laughs> <laughs> tell me a little bit about your service background before we dive into all the cool things you're doing with Vet Powered and Workshop for Warriors. I was an enlisted corpsman. I enlisted from uh, Paris, France, went to Wiesbaden, uh, served with the world's greatest Marine Corps as a Navy corpsman. Uh, became part of Super Squad. We deployed uh, Okinawa. Then once out there, my my gunnery sergeant there. So if you're out there, gunnery sergeant Nugent, thanks again. But he pushed me to get my commission. I obtained my commission, came back in as a surface warfare officer and did an extra 13 years, three combat tours, Iraq, Afghanistan, worked with the special warfare teams. I was on the USS Firebolt and a couple of ships uh, before becoming a, a reservist briefly. Can I just pause you right there and say, wow, a guy with a Hispanic name comes to us from France and then enlists as a corpsman only to become a service warfare officer and now with an electrical engineering specialty. Um, you're all kinds of things, Renan, and we could probably do an hour <laughs> just on you. But uh, how did you go from corpsman to what you told me was electrical engineering? Well, I actually had my degree before I enlisted in the U.S. Navy. And what I realized with Workshops for Warriors is we kept seeing more and more people that were kind of languishing in hospitals. And as you know, Marines and young enlisted guys and gals, they don't like to be sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, that's the truth. And uh, along with that comes getting in a little trouble. So uh, uh, I'm glad to see that uh, you're putting them to work. All right. So then you found a training program and a company. Let's first talk about Vet Powered. And what is it exactly uh, that you do in the manufacturing space? Vet Powered does three primary things. One is machinery repair and installation. The other one is rapid prototyping, manufacturing. And the third is training and products. So a lot of times we have brand new equipment, machines, robots, lasers, etc. And workforces might not be familiar with them. So we go in there, we help train people to use new equipment. One of the other things we do at Vet Powered is manufacture America's only stainless steel mugs. And we manufacture them for distilleries and breweries here in San Diego. We also manufacture a, it's called a Mark 10 and Mark 15, which are gun cleaners. If you've ever been in the Marine Corps and you have to sit there and clean your weapon for eight hours before you can de-issue it and start your liberty, you know how much of a pain it is to clean it. We built these little things that fit into your buttstock of your weapon and helps you clean your weapon in one-tenth the time that it normally takes. And that's been selling like hotcakes on Brownells and on GovX. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I'll say even more awesome for the Navy veteran in me is uh, the stainless steel mugs. Yeah, I've seen those. So you make those for spots all around the country. We do. All right. I'm going to add that to the Christmas list. Guess who wants his own beer mug? Stainless steel. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. All right. Now we go from kind of the novelty side of the business back to the manufacturing side and the prototyping side. Give me an example about how a major company might use your business. Let's say, for example, you have an aviation company or, or a, a space company, and they have to have some a special leg assembly done for this new rocket. And the, the supplier that was supposed to do it did not do it on time or had some quality issue. They'll call us in, and uh, like the Secretary of the Navy calls us the, the SEAL team of manufacturing. We'd go in there at the 11th hour, take measurements with a portable 3D laser scanner, and then we'd take measurements, look at the part, figure out what's wrong with it, come back to our place, uh, do five axis CNC machining on a titanium part, do a fitment on it, and then get that aircraft or that rocket 
into space and anywhere from 96 hours to 108 hours later, it's out the door. And that's an emerging space right now in the American workforce, right? I mean, there are not enough manufacturing employees for the manufacturing jobs that are currently available. Absolutely. So most Americans don't know that there are 2.4 million advanced manufacturing jobs that will be unfilled due to lack of skilled labor over the next 10 years. Right now, we have about 522,000 unfilled jobs due to lack of skilled labor. So if you're a company that needs something done right now, there are not that many companies in the U.S. that can rapidly prototype what you need. And America's ability to become economically self-sufficient and manufacture its own items and be prepared to manufacture its own safety items really hinges on bringing manufacturing back to the United States. And that's why I started the Workshops for Warriors. That's our call to action is Workshops for Warriors is rebuilding America's manufacturing workforce one veteran at a time. And that's exactly the segue I was looking for because I know that you'd started this even before you founded the company Vet Powered. Uh, but the description I have here is that they provide veterans advanced manufacturing training, third-party certification, and job placement at no cost to the veterans. And you do it with companies that we all recognize. Names like Ford and Tesla, Boeing and Caterpillar, SpaceX. Uh, these are titans of the American manufacturing industry. And through this workshop, they're able to get jobs with companies like this, tell me about this workshop. It's called Workshops for Warriors, but really it's an accelerated training program. And we provide accelerated training courses so that we offer transitioning service members and veterans accelerated multidisciplinary advanced manufacturing training coupled with nationally recognized certification. And then we connect them to advanced manufacturing companies throughout the U.S. And since 2008, 94% of all of our graduates are employed full-time with industry leaders in advanced manufacturing, CNC machining, robotics, 3D printing, laser cutting, and, and more. Share with me how the training unfolds now. First of all, tell me about what kind of MOSs I'm coming from, what kind of job I had in the military, and second, what do I have to do to take advantage of Workshop for Warriors? So, Phil, first thing is we'll take any MOS. We don't care if you're an 0311 infantry guy. I don't care if you're an... A uh, mess specialist, it doesn't matter. Workshops for Warriors is the equivalent of a boot camp for manufacturing. Any U.S. service member that is honorably discharged is eligible to join or to uh, apply to Workshops for Warriors. And I would encourage them to go to WFW.org. Then if you're selected, we'd meet you down here in San Diego. We're right on Main Street, San Diego, in front of the largest naval base in the world. Classes start in January, April, and August of every year. Share with me a success story or an example of somebody that came in, got some training, and what kind of job they went to and where. A perfect example is a guy named Jamie. Jamie was this guy that was scared that he was about to become homeless with a wife and three small children. This is a Marine Corps veteran who's at the end of his rope because he didn't know where else to turn. Because as an infantry gunner, what do you do out in the civilian world? But when Jamie walked through our doors... He found hope, and after four months of accelerated advanced manufacturing training at our school, Jamie is now making $32 an hour at a very well-known space exploration company making space transport vehicles. So our graduates earn $60,000 on average out of the gate, and we combine it with four months of accelerated skills training and portable, nationally recognized credentials. Then. We redirect our graduates into the world of advanced manufacturing, 
specifically into companies like SpaceX, Ford, Reliance, to earn an average starting salary of $60,000 a year. That's amazing. And had I known that, I might have even pumped the brakes on getting into journalism. <laughs> because that's an incredible stat. You start around sixty grand usually, and you can go up from there. Um, I know tradesmen, and I know guys that are doing this kind of work. Just they really do have brilliant careers with a constant demand and a skill that you can use and is completely portable no matter where you live in the country. So uh, hats off to that's you. It. Hernan Luis Prado, founder of Vet Powered and, of course, Workshop for Warriors. Uh, it's something to celebrate for this small business Saturday, and it's also something to celebrate as far as somebody able to help veterans get quality jobs. Really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for having me. And Americans like you and veterans like you that, that help shape Americans' perception of what we can do to help veterans reintegrate. With everyone's support and help, we'll rebuild America's manufacturing forces together. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Phil Briggs from ConnectingVets.com. Now, in this last segment, I wanted to have some fun and look back at a previous broadcast I did with the original host of this show. My friend and former colleague Eric Dame is also my fellow Navy veteran and a journalist who deployed to Afghanistan and a guy who always has a great story. All right, here we are on the beginning of the holiday season, the countdown to Tryptophan highs nationwide. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve, as I like to call it. Thanksgiving may be my favorite holiday because it's all about eating and happiness and spending time with the family. And those are all things that I like. Well, clearly you like to eat. So oh, we'll get really? into that in a minute. You're mean. You're mean. Did I just fat shame you? You are mean. I, and I think I did. Oh, cold hearted. Hey, don't, hey, don't judge a book by its cover. Eric. Yeah, but if a book is too thick, nobody's going to want to read it, Phil. <laughs> Norm McDonald gave me that one. Thanks, ah, Norm. But um, bum. All right. <laughs> um, where do we begin? Thanksgiving. Uh, let's start first of all with the pilgrims. Should, you see, should, should we over. celebrate this holiday? Seriously, should we celebrate this holiday? This is the holiday where basically it was the beginning of the end for the indigenous populace of this fine Not country. Really. I mean, it was that was well, that was going to happen one way or the other. It's just how things worked back then. It was an age of exploration where, you know, the guys who had the uh, the guns, the germs and the steel, they were going to move over and they were going to take over. Uh, what this holiday is about is actually the uh, the teamwork uh, the Pilgrims would not have survived through the harsh New England winters that I'm very familiar with had it not been for the assistance of the Native Americans. Did that come back to bite those same Native Americans in the rear end? Uh, yeah, I think you could argue that it did. But uh, it's also a big part of why we're still here. They might not have stayed here. And that would eventually become the building blocks of the United States. The United States grew out of those original colonies out there in New England. And it certainly wasn't a sure thing for us when we got here. I mean, oh, what no. the Jamestown goes back to the 1600s. Uh, the Vikings, I mean, 600 they, years before that, they made died. landfall. I mean, many of them died yeah, in the, pursuit the, of those colonies. Leif Erikson, the Vikings, they made it to Newfoundland, Canada, in the year 1100, 1000, something like that. Right. And eventually they were, uh, well, kicked out. They were decimated by both the, the, the weather 
the terrain and the Native Americans that live there, or the First Nations people, as they're called up in Canada. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not an easy place to live. In the modern era, it's not that difficult. Although, look, just last week where six inches of snow basically shut down New York City and made everything <laughs> stop working there. So even it, with the modern era and the technology that we have, the weather can shut down life. And back then... Man, there were no snow plows, you know? There was no heat. There right. Fireplace, that was your only heat. Problem was, you also lived in a wooden home. Fire in a wooden home, eh, there were a lot more home fires back then, a lot of things going on. So, yeah, you know, different era. I think that's why we should celebrate the holiday. I don't think we can hold other eras to the same standards that we have today in, in any way, really. Right. Well said. Well said. That's why. Like, that's why I wanted to start with that with you because I know you're a history buff. I am. Uh, but before we move on, uh, did you say Leif Erikson? Because, as I recall, isn't he, isn't he a singer from like the seventies? That's Leif Garrett. Leif Erikson. Leif Erikson. What was, was that song he sang? <laughs> The Vikings did have uh, some semi-permanent colonies in North America for a short period of time. I'm not sure exactly how long it was. But so at no point was he on the cover of Tiger Beat magazine in 1977? I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't. I can't verify that. He may have been on Tiger Beat for April uh, 1005. I don't know. Do you, you feel like we do? Peter Frampton? That's Leif Erikson, man. I'm pretty sure that's not true. Pretty sure you're wrong in a number of ways. Do you feel like we do? I'm pretty sure it's Peter Frampton. All right, screw it. It's just history. It's over. Let's uh, move on to uh, more recent history that we can all remember. And uh, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, of course, we think of it as the American holiday where we get together with family and friends around a table and we enjoy turkey and stuffing and the warmth of good cheer and the fellowship of our family and good company. Have ourselves a lot of liquor and some beers, and we enjoy each other. Uh, but it's not always the case. And certainly as veterans, we can all remember a Thanksgiving, or a holiday anyway, where we were not surrounded by the warmth of a fireplace and family and friends. We were, of course, deployed somewhere. And I got to ask, you were deployed. You've been over there in the sandbox. Um, not really. Can I was I up ask, in the mountains. There wasn't a lot of sand. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there was. You've been to Afghanistan. Like, it was dusty more than sandy. What was it like Thanksgiving over there? So I remember the Thanksgiving that I spent in Masri Sharif, Afghanistan, and it was either earlier that day or the previous day. I'd been outside the wire with an Air Force crew that was training uh, the Afghan National Army's pilots to and crew, the, the Air mm. Force. Our Air Force were actually training the crew. Croatian pilots were training the pilots because they were flying old MI-17 Russian helicopters. Uh, we were outside the wire. I went with them for uh, a few of their trips where it was really interesting stuff, uh, really uh, uh, fascinating to see the interaction and to see the different things and to get shot at by the uh, the people that lived out in the mountains while we're up in the helicopters. No, what, really? Yeah, yeah, but that, that was uh, Thanksgiving. I remember going to the American Dining Facility. I worked at a very international place, Camp Marmal. It was run by the Germans. There were Belgians. There were Swedes, Norwegians, all sorts of people around and a lot of different dining facilities. I typically ate at the German one. It was closer to where I worked. They had Schweinebraten and all sorts of pork stuff every day that I enjoyed. So I'd go and uh, and eat there most of the time. But on Thanksgiving, 
I knew I had to go to the American dining facility. They had turkey. They had yeah. stuffing. They had mashed. The Germans didn't have any of that stuff. Turkey's never on the menu in Germany, really. Well, the Germans also don't have Thanksgiving. So no, that's true. Probably. So it's not their thing. So I went over there, but the 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 two things that I remember are, one, my German coworkers, because I worked in a multinational unit, came with us, the Americans, and were turned away. The American, di- the American dining facility, keep in mind this is Thanksgiving with the spirit of uh, friendship, togetherness, and working to get through right. struggles. Uh, they told the Germans, like, no, you can't come until after uh, 9 p.m. or something like that. You can't do Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> until every American is eaten. And I was like, this betrays the meaning of the holiday so strongly. And I don't know who made that decision, but it was one of uh, one of those dumb decisions that you uh that you get while you're over there, essentially. So we all went back. We ate at the German one. And then later on, I was like, you know what? Screw that, man. I want to get my Thanksgiving meal. I'm going. Does anybody else want to go? Everybody else was like, no, we already ate. I didn't care. I wanted turkey. <laughs> so I went over there and I ended up sitting with the airmen. I saw the airmen from the air crew that were training the Afghan National Army on the MI-17s. I went down and sat with them and, and had a Thanksgiving meal over there, uh, which was good. I won't say it was great. It, it was good. I mean, it was as good as you would expect the Thanksgiving meal to be at a dining facility in Afghanistan. But, uh, you know, my, my, my biggest memory, though, was that kind of uh, irritation at the army. And I suppose what they were thinking was, well, what if we run out of the food? And then we right. have, you know, our, this is our holiday. We wasted all the turkey on you Germans. Dang it. But it's also, you know, that's what the holiday's about. It's about that teamwork and togetherness, you know, the pilgrims, as we talked about earlier. And, and this wasn't like some fancy club. No, this right, was right. Thanksgiving dinner where I wanted to share it. And the, and, the, and the Germans had never had a Thanksgiving dinner before. They were really excited. Do your German be... impression. Why, Phil? <laughs> Why would they not let us have the turkey? I wanted to have the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes. And you made it all sound so good. But Sensei said no. Nine. 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 You can't come in here. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. I thought they would say, welcome in, which means, you know, welcome in German. Instead, they said, can't come in. And I didn't think that was what I would hear on Thanksgiving. I'm not thankful for the way we've treated, Phil. Are they still mad about World War II? I mean, oh, God. (laughs) That's that's a touchy subject for the the Germans, so that, that wouldn't come up. What I learned that time was Thanksgiving's more about who you're around. It's not about the turkey or the, the stuffing or the mashed potatoes. We we ended up going to the German dining facility and eating pork like we did every single day over oh, there yeah. with our German friends. And uh, I was thankful for their friendship and for uh, you know them watching my back and all that good stuff. Yeah. All right, uh, good times, man. I am thankful for you, pal. And uh, it's been a fun fall, dude. Let's uh, let's keep doing this here on this podcast. I don't know if I'd use the word thankful for you, but I'm uh, th- there's there's another word that's similar. I don't know, whatever that word is. I will go with thankful. I'm thankful for you too, bird dog, jerk. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. 
Hell, even give us a review of the show because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.